Hello and welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan, and in this program, we all discover jazz, old and new, together by listening to a wide array of selections, exploring different jazz styles and topics related to jazz, we'll learn more about what it is, what it isn't, how it's developed, and what we can listen for to enhance our experience. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. Here in Victoria, I ran across an old musical acquaintance that I knew in Edmonton where I grew up, and I learned that he's teaching an introduction to jazz course through the Continuing Studies program at the University of Victoria. He's also on Wikipedia. His name is Jan Randall, and he's a composer and a very fine pianist who's written a number of film scores and TV soundtracks. And now, with wife and fellow composer Ina Dijkstra, they sell their original sheet music and exercise books online through Vista Heights Music. Today's program will be a conversation with Jan, starting by talking about his UVic course, then moving on to his role as composer. But let's start the program the same way that Jan starts his classes. So imagine, here we are. Yeah. It's, it's yes. presentation number one. Yes. The class have just assembled 10, 15 people. Yes. What do you do? What's the very first thing you do? Well, I put on some music. <laughs> what do you usually put on? What do you play? <laughs> and I want to know... What you played at the beginning? Oh, I, of I did. Of course, you know, this I'm, last time. Oh, darn you it! Know? Uh, okay, so uh, I'm going to look on my actual uh, thing here, uh, and it was when the Saints go marching in by Louis Armstrong. All right, great. Sisters and brothers, this is Reverend Satchmo getting ready to beat out this mellow sermon for you. My text this evening: When the Saints go marching in, here come Brother Hickenbottom down the aisle with his trombone. Blow it, boy. my understanding of, of jazz uh, increases, I, I start to, to full, more fully appreciate how Louis Armstrong seems to be at the top of, of every diagram you ever make.
from 1938, Louis Armstrong. It was a hit on Decca Records when the Saints go marching in. Speaking with Jan Randall about his introduction to jazz course at UVic. I tend to, to organize the, the listening materials in class historically so that we're starting with early jazz, you know, like Dixieland and and swing from the the uh, from even into the 20s, the late 20s, as opposed to to uh, to jazz from the 30s or the 40s or the 50s. And it, and it tends to be, you know, a survey of things. But as jazz evolved, it got more complicated. So it makes sense to me that uh, historically is uh, it started off simpler. And that's a and that's a second reason for for doing it that way. Starting with simple, it's pitched to try to to open up the ears of the listener so that you can appreciate what you're hearing a little deeper to 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 get a bigger experience out of what you what you have when you listen to the music. I'm trying to get them to to learn more about what they're actually hearing. Everybody hears things in different ways. Some people tend to to hear more with their hearts for instance uh they they pay attention more to how music makes them feel some people listen only to the words and, and if it doesn't have it's not a song and it doesn't have words they kind of don't know uh what what to think you know is, is it got a title that sort of instruction they 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 need some sort of guidance where they might be paying more attention to what the musicians are wearing and and how they're expressing themselves uh, physically, some people have to dance to to music, uh, jazz even, because uh, they're only paying focusing on the rhythm of it, you know, or it makes them feel good. And I try to 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 get people more into uh, the relationship between uh, uh, the the actual melody, what the melody is, how it's made, and I try to use non musician words. So what I'm getting out of the course is how to communicate as a musician to people that or severely allergic to technical jargon. Uh-huh. <laughs> so some of the some of the tunes that you would introduce to people to kind of expand them a little bit. Uh, yeah, Dan? yeah. Well, I mean, um, I picked um, Count Basie's "One O'Clock Jump." Um, uh, I I tended to all look for for. Uh, uh, songs that were historically important, and, you know, this this one um, was was a song he was Count Basie was well known for, uh, and 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 in a sense also it would be like a first for him. So uh, this evolved from a jam in his Kansas days, and uh, and the recording uh, features Lester Young, so it's important for so many. So many reasons. 1937, it was their theme song.
And that left hand uh, boogie woogie bass piano, that's a boogie woogie right. bass line that, that uh, uh, if, you, if you play it fast like this. Uh, like that's eight to the bar, right? One, two, three, four, and five. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight to the bar. But if you just play it four to the bar, you end up with something that sounds like country. Right. <laughs> Which to me, that, that, that exact lick historically is the, the link between, you know, the beginnings of boogie-woogie piano and country music. And it came from right. Texas. So, <laughs> Sure. Which yeah. kind of paves the way nicely into Western swing. Yeah. It? yeah. Yeah. So I find that, that, that uh, uh, I like to listen to the music. Uh, I, I try not to fall too far down a rabbit hole, but but that's kind of what makes the, the the material interesting. Any way that I can find to 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 get people to relate to to the music is is always good. I'm looking for um, uh, songs. Yeah, I'm always pointing out connections between songs. So you've got with you've got some of the people who know absolutely nothing about jazz. Yeah. And something has motivated them to want to come to this particular course. Right. Do you like? Do you go around and sort of ask people? Yeah. What motivated them or why I they're here? Do, I do. Um, I um, the kinds of answers I get um, they range from um, I guess 
a, a feeling that they're missing out on something, and so they they have trouble articulating what they're looking for. They're they're really looking to me to tell them why they're there, and I don't know them, so it's it becomes a bit of a catch twenty two. And some people are actually there to show off their knowledge of jazz, but some people want to just you know uh, perhaps reinforce uh, their their inner perspective that their favorite jazz song is as well the best jazz song in the history of jazz. That makes sense. And so I'm usually out to completely disappoint that notion. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I, I really love, I mean, if you're coming to a, uh, to, 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 together to learn something, then I believe that that should be expanding, you know, your, your, yourself and, and myself included. Part of this expansion that Jan Randall talked about is playing different versions of the same tune and appreciating both, even though they may be very different. He uses it to help his students to focus on more than one aspect of the music, not just the melody or the rhythm or the lyrics, but maybe even something as basic as the bass line. He uses the Charlie Christian Benny Goodman tune called Seven Come Eleven and talks about two versions of it, the original and a later one, more complex rhythmically, harmonically, and melodically, by Joe Pass and Herb Ellis. I'll play them both. Listen to the different bass lines, then Jan will talk about them.
starts with a with a bit of a bass line. So I mean it's interesting that you know a lot of you know to have a song even just start off with the bass hook you know at, at one point that was revolutionary it's a lot faster you know with Joe Pass that, that that I the first time I heard this song seven come eleven was with Joe Pass Herb Ellis in 1973 so to me the reason I was taking the course was because I I'd never heard the Charlie Christian version this one with Benny Goodman you know and how was it different well guess what even just even just listening ba dun dun da bum that this this these notes is a lot uh, uh, is a lot less dissonant than the version that came years later, and we talk call it the sharp four. I might uh, tell you that's the Maria note because. So, uh, and 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 that note is also interesting, even if you're introducing your uh, anybody to jazz, because uh, this note, this interval, we call the uh, distance between two notes an interval, um, was thought to be the literal sound of, of Satan, right? Uh, in the in the times and of of uh, the monks who were trying to sing everything in parallel fifths. So they get they'd sing something like this uh, uh, if they were singing a scale in fifths. They get to that note, they'd hear that, and that must be Satan trying to prevent them from finishing the scale. They'd, every time they got to the seventh note of the scale, they had a bad inner, a bad fifth with that set of notes. So they alter it, you know. Getting that sound like that, and to me, this is all connected to jazz because guess what? Jazz was described as the devil's music for sure. So they threw that interval back in and peppered uh, us with that exact note as many times. Uh, you can call it a sharp eleven, or you can call it a sharp four, or you can call it, uh, <laughs> or you can call it Lydian. There are many names uh, for that for that particular jazz note. Or if you're if you're not very intellectual about it, you're just bending that fifth, that fifth note down, which is the most innocent note, and you're just bending it before you hit it. You're listening to Discovering Jazz with Jan Randall, talking about his introduction to jazz course that he gives at the University of Victoria. So, how much dissonance can somebody just being introduced to jazz take? As any style of music evolved, it tended to add more and more dissonance. And the solos started to get more and more. Uh, and I think everybody has some kind of a personal threshold for how much dissonance they like or not like. You know, how much... And jazz, in a way, you know, a, a very partial definition of jazz might be to jazz something up is to add some spice to it, to add some dissonance to it. So, So the question might not be, is this jazz or not? The question might be, 
how much jazz, how jazzy do you want it? <laughs> how jazzy do you like things? And substitute the word dissonance uh, for, for jazz. And at some point I throw on some Cecil Taylor or some late Coltrane just to see what happens. And I would say out of a class of 15, there might be one person that likes it. And they'll admit it afterwards. There will be, uh, after about 10 seconds of playing an excerpt of some Cecil Taylor uh, or Lake Coltrane, um, I'll say, is that enough? And everybody goes, yeah! And they shout it. I would say maybe 50% can take bebop. Uh, but 50% think that bebop is, is, is uh, they can't follow it. You know, they, they, they really, to them, it's just blah, uh, blah, blah, blah. It is the language of nonsense to them. They, it doesn't make sense to them. They can't hear the patterns, it, and, and, and it's not beautiful. If you can't discern uh, what I mean by pattern, is something like this. If, uh... Now, some of your listeners might hear that I played the same pattern using different notes. Yeah, it went up a chromatic. Yeah, you used a musician term. Ah, I'm trying okay. to avoid that. But the point is, is that not everybody can hear. Some people can't even hear that it's hot going higher. So this flows into some ideas for tunes to play. I'll start with just a bit of Cecil Taylor, as I imagine some of you yelling at full volume, turn it off. Yet Cecil Taylor, who just recently died, is considered a jazz legend. Wikipedia describes his music as characterized by an energetic physical approach resulting in complex improvisations often involving tone clusters and intricate polyrhythms, unquote. I'll then play you a Charlie Parker bebop classic, Ornithology, from 1946. <laughs> I'd like to hear more, but I can hear the shouts from Jan Randall's introduction to jazz class, so I better move on to some Charlie Parker. Ornithology from 1946 with Miles Davis on trumpet, Lucky Thompson tenor sax, Arvin Garrison guitar, Dodo Marmoros on piano, and Vic McMillan on bass, plus Roy Porter on drums.
one student that, that that reacted very severely in a in a bad in a negative way to the music that I was playing. All of the examples, and I asked her privately what was going on, and she said that she didn't think anything that I was playing had any melodies. And so I had to define what melody was. And I found out because I, I at first I didn't know what she was talking about because to me, they all had melodies. A mel- and she said, define a melody. And in class I said, well, a melody is just a series of single notes, one after the other. And in, in the history of all the music, because I studied classical and very, very modern music, that's a pretty good definition that encompasses any of it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if two notes are happening at the same time, that's harmony. If two notes happen one after another, that's melody. And what she and she made a face and said, "No, that's that's wrong." And I, my first inside, I went, "Well, how dare you?" <laughs> but then I, but but I want to learn from her, and I wanted to know what she meant by that. And what she did mean was this: melody to her were only a series of notes that sounded good to her. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And if it didn't sound good, then it wasn't mel- melody. And, and and I think what is confusing there is 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 the saying something's melodious, and how melodious is it compared to is it a melody? Jan says it is pretty sure that the last tune we just played, Ornithology, was one of those tunes that a student said had no melody. But sometimes getting attuned to a melody or a harmony, texture, or rhythm takes some time. So if I was to sing that, well, just because I can sing it doesn't mean everybody can sing it. Right. And the first time you hear it, the first few times oh, yeah. you hear it, you know. I couldn't sing it the first head. time. Heck no, you have to yeah. learn it. And you don't, you have a sense of the melody. Yeah, yeah, you have to right. learn it. So, 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 if you want to learn about jazz or, or develop your appreciation about jazz music, you have to you have to put some effort into it. You have to do some work, mm-hmm. and that means listening to it more than once. It means uh, having an open mind as to whether it's good or not. Trying not to decide you like it after the first time. I find that the more you know that, that a lot of my favorite music I did not like the first time I heard it. Mm-hmm. I liked it the second or the third or the fourth time. And better and better the more that I got to know it. So as having somebody tell me that it's a good piece, I have to trust them that it's good, you know, in order to, to put in the work uh, or by the reputation of the jazz artist. I wanted to make sure that we played at least a few records that particularly resonated for Jan. That's Jan Randall, the teacher, the pianist, and the composer. So I kept asking him questions about some of his favorite tunes. Let me see favorite jazz tracks of mine. Well, I, lo- I mean, I love In a Mellow Tone. I got I think In a Mellow Tone is one of the the greatest. Um, yeah, the, I collected a whole bunch of recordings of In a Mellow Tone. Um, I'm kind of surprised. Um, Duke Ellington song. You know, to me, it's. Uh, any, there's a million versions of it, but uh, to me, it's it's like the essence of a of 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 a jazz a jazz blues that that I really like. From a 1960 Duke Ellington album, here is in a mellow tone.
listening to Discovering Jazz, coming your way thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. My name's Larry Sademan. This week, doing a bit of an introduction to jazz with Jan Randall, who teaches such a course at the University of Victoria here on Vancouver Island. Jan is a composer and pianist, and we'll get a chance to hear one of his compositions before we finish. But first, since Jan's compositions do tread the line between classical and jazz, as well as other genres, I think it's worth hearing him talk about what we might call the Chopin-jazz connection. I like to point out that the beginnings of, of jazz are very connected to the music of Chopin like in, uh, especially the the voicings uh, and the chords that he used and his dissonances so if if um if chopin was to play those that melody that's the the blue danube right right yeah so the 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 melody those notes all stay inside of the of the set of notes that we know to be the chord <laughs> in the left hand so there's zero dissonance between the melody and the chord at all. And Chopin was one of the first people to start improvising around that with something like this. He was the one that added all those those notes <laughs> uh, more than anybody else. Uh, accented non-chord notes. And you could also think of them as being notes that uh, are a semitone below where they're where they're going. In other words, if you were to bend the note uh, down, hit it, and then and then release the bend into the note, like you might, which is easy to do on a guitar. Uh, <laughs> you know uh, what I mean by that? Like I happen to have a guitar here. So there's the the top note, and instead of hitting that. I might hit the note below and bend it into it, right. which I can't do on a piano. So what I do is just play the note below, and I pretend to bend the note into the note. Right. And in terms of rhythm, Jan spoke about syncopation, where you play the note in a different place rather than right on the beat as being sort of like bending time. And Scott Joplin, the inventor of ragtime, which was a precursor to jazz, did a lot of that, as well as that Chopin-ish hitting of the note, a half tone above or below. You're listening in the background to Chopin's Minute Waltz, and I'm going to play Scott Joplin's best-known piece, The Entertainer.
All right, I'm sorry to cut short Marvin Hamlish's wonderful piano and his version of Scott Joplin's The Entertainer, but we are running out of time, and I promised you a Jan Randall original. Let's hear him talk about it first, then we'll play the official recording. So Jan, I mean, you're, you teach this course, and yes. you're a musician. Yes. A jazz musician? Yes. Well, I am a jazz musician. I'm a, I'm a classical musician. I'm, I have been a blues musician. Uh, I'm all of those things, but mm, the main thing I am is a composer. And so I compose jazz and I compose classical music and I compose songs and instrumentals. And one of the instrumentals I wrote was, uh, was inspired by a couple of things, a, a classical thing and a blues thing and a jazz thing. So it, it's called Fatso. And the classical thing it was inspired by was, uh, was this progression. Uh, Packlebell's Cannon. So I originally had a classical piece uh, where I tried to. Uh, there's been a million classical uh, pieces written around that 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 uh, pattern, uh, and I want. So I decided to do one that, that was just using that pattern as fast as possible, like this. Uh, uh, so it was like so my my jazz classical piece went uh, and, it, and it goes on from there but then I I decided to syncopate that and turn this classical piece into a jazz piece so instead of doing it like this uh, I did it like this section uh, of this instrument this recording that you have so and then uh, there was a chord I think it's again that sharp chord the sharp form chord which is uh, uh, so that's kind of the chord progression of it uh, kind of the jazzy part and, uh, and and the blues part comes from some early boogie woogie the kind of boogie woogie learned if you were a kid taking piano lessons in the 60s we might do something like this like a which is more like rock and roll boogie woogie uh, it's really simplified and what I heard from the early recordings was instead of doing that the left hand might do this um, shortening bread there yeah a little bit of shortening <laughs> bread it was exactly that so I combined that with this progression I have and I tried to play really fast so instead of uh, that thing I played earlier I do it like this so it's a combination of, of three ideas and a lot of composition and creativity is that trying to find common ground between three things that are completely unrelated. Okay. That's, that's my process.
Let's talk more about some of Jan Randall's favorites. I think Art Tatum's T for Two is, is, is must listening for anybody. Okay. I learned to listen to a lot of piano music, so that would be another favorite of mine. Art Tatum's going to play so well in front of Horowitz that, that Horowitz couldn't play for seven years. <laughs> it depressed the hell out of him. And um, Horowitz hired somebody to teach him T for Two. Art Tatum, T for Two, from 1933. Thing, there's a lesson on Art Tatum's playing that blew my mind, which, I mean, he's blind. And you th this is, again, a reason maybe to... to I like telling this story to non-musicians because it, it goes to show that 
music can come from the heart or the body or it doesn't have to come from some kind of intellectual process you know so Art Tatum might do a run like this and this was showed, showed the one way to I think this would be an Art Tatum run like an, and it'll blow your mind now if you're trying to, to analyze that in terms of what notes at which scales um, you're gonna it, you're not gonna get anywhere because all he was thinking is two black notes three white notes two black notes <laughs> you know it, it was really how it fit under his hand that made it interesting you know and if you look physically how the hand look if you look at the piano right now and you're, you're looking and you're going like a couple black notes and then three white notes and then two more black notes and then since your hand is always doing this you can do that extremely fast <laughs> and that's what he was after oh. was was just a way of, of ripping down the piano in an unpredictable way that would sound really cool and it does you know I mean like that that riff will work in any key because it, it equally doesn't belong to any of them <laughs> it's just nothing but jazz notes all the way down Let's finish off with a selection that's more modern. And this one is something to which Jan Randall has been doing a lot of listening. A group I should have been familiar with, but I'm not. The Coherence by the Yellow Jackets is my one of my... It, right now, it's probably my favorite jazz track of all time. I mean, I've, I've, Yellow Jackets has been making records for decades now. And, and I have dozens of favorites, but that's the one I'm listening to the most now. Here is Coherence from the Yellow Jacket's latest release from 2016. Features Russell Ferrante on piano, Bob Minzer, sax, Dane Alderson on the electric bass, and Will Kennedy drums. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Discovering Jazz coming your way thanks to Apple Podcasts and Peterborough Independent Podcasters. My name's Larry Sademan, saying bye for now, and thank you to Jan Randall for such a stimulating and enlightening presentation. Mm-hmm.